everyone. It is episode 349 of This Is Whole Life. And it's a Saturday afternoon and it feels really weird to be sitting in the studio with the podcast team. But there's a plus one today. Who wants to do the introduction? Ken, you want to do it since you're the you know, you're the big cheese and this is, you know, you kind of have the insight on this? Yeah, I'd love to. Awesome. Uh, you know, one of the uh, great things about... Uh, being in charge is sometimes you get to invite your friends to come hang out with you. And uh, today I get to hang out with uh, just one of my my good friends. I'm pleased to introduce if you didn't if you weren't uh, at church on Saturday, uh, if you didn't uh, listen to the message later, um, then I'd like to introduce you to Furman Fordham. If you did listen to the message, then man, you know you know that uh, Furman brought it on Sabbath. You'll want to go back if you didn't hear it and listen to that message. It. It was good. Um, and just to kind of by way of explanation of who Furman Fordham Jr. is, uh, we got to know each other in Nashville. Um, I was uh, pastoring the Madison Campus Seventh-day Adventist Church, and the church that he pastored was maybe 15 minutes uh, you know, uh, away from, from Madison Campus, and it was the Riverside Chapel Church. Um, my church, uh, historically predominantly Caucasian church, uh, his uh, church, a historically predominantly African-American black church. You know, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, a lot of times uh, those kind of churches don't have a lot of communication with each other, and they don't really sometimes even know the other one exists in, in, in some cases. And a little shame to say, I really, I, I passed that church, I think, for two years before I, I think I even knew uh, Furman's name. <laughs> and, and then we were at some, uh, some meetings where we were being given the opportunity to participate in a Nashville-wide uh, evangelistic series. The kind of the, the, the pull-in was like, oh, well, let's get all the pastors in the, the Kentucky-Tennessee Conference and all the pastors in the South Central Conference together, and we'll you know, do something. And I remember uh, Furman uh, spoke up and he said, look, is this about doing an evangelistic series, or is this really about unity? Because he said, if... Uh, it was about an evangelistic series, you know, good thing to do, not that interested. Um, but if this is really about, you know, uniting and bringing churches together and having conversations, so then I'm all in. And I just really appreciate just how straightforward he was. And afterward, I'd been struggling because I was at, you know, a really large church. And unlike Orlando, where there's, you know, uh, you know, four other churches very close to here that are the same or larger than this church— I didn't know anybody had a church that was even close to the size that I had, and so I've been trying to figure out, you know, well, do I go find a Baptist church or somewhere where I can find somebody who's kind of a similar situation, but then they don't really understand some of the nuances of Adventism, and and I was <laughs> like, man, here's this guy who's pastoring a church about the same size that I have, and uh, multi-staff, and I can't believe we've never chatted, so we got on the phone, chat with each other, decided we wanted to start meeting monthly. Um, and I just found a brother. Um, it was it was amazing to me as we kind of started comparing our stories, how much we had in common, in spite of being raised in kind of culturally different ways within the same denomination. Just how much we had in common, uh, you know. Uh, just I was a student missionary in New Zealand as a youth pastor. He was a student missionary in Australia as a youth pastor. We both have wives that are elementary school teachers. We we both started off majoring in other things, um, weren't necessarily planning on going into ministry. So there's just so much commonality there. And, the, you know, the other big commonality is both of us are drawn to a picture of Jesus 
not a Jesus that is out there condemning, not a Jesus that that you have to earn something, but a Jesus where it's already been done for you, that, that we are saved uh, by grace through faith, and that uh, and, and Puck has a huge love for righteousness by faith, which I'm very much attracted to. Um, so that is, uh, by way of introduction, who we have seen with us in the studio, delivered our sermon this last uh, this week as we kind of begin celebrating Black History Month here at Whole Life Church, and just couldn't be more thrilled to have him here. So, um, by the way, his friends and family call him Puck. I, I learned today that his mother has never called him anything other than Puck. So if you hear me say Puck here in the conversation, I'm talking about Furman Fordham. So just so you know that, <laughs> um, I just sometimes will. I try to keep the professional oh. name going when, but uh, sometimes it'll it'll slip into into his nickname. I'm Furman Ford, and I approve this message. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. That uh, anything you'd like to add to what Ken uh, Ken introduced you? Any- well, first let me just say uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. It's good to be a part of the team. I've had a wonderful experience. I think you told me that this podcast is airing on Wednesdays, Wednesdays, Wednesday. yep. which means my team is going to be playing in about four days, right? Mm, oh. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm a Chiefs fan, right? Sorry, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I am somebody who grew up where all we pretty much did was go to the football games. My father had season tickets. Uh, that was our thing, you know? And I'm excited about the fact that 50-something years later, uh, I have an opportunity next week to be sitting in my father's living room, and we're hoping that we'll end up with another trophy. I understand there's another gentleman here who is just as ravenous about being an Eagles fan. Uh, so we wish you luck. We don't wish you success, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I like uh, that. That's, that's nice. That's yeah, cordial. You know, very much I appreciate so. that about yeah, you. So but, the title uh, of your, your message this morning was, I'm on my way to the Canaan land. Does that, That's going to mean something a little bit different next Sunday. Very much right? so. Very much so. Very much so. We're gonna be <laughs> the land our, of Lombardi. On, yeah. Well, we want to be on, on our way to the end zone, hopefully. <laughs> but I'm from Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, like uh, Ken mentioned, uh, grew up as a seven-day Adventist. It's interesting. I mean, the white and black size of the church, we can have parallel experiences, but never come in contact with each other. I think one of the other things we found out was, uh, weren't you also like USM student body president or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah I mean, we both were student body. It was like our lives were exactly the same, but we had never, you know, crossed paths. Never crossed yeah. paths. So I was pastoring in Nashville, as Ken mentioned, and I remember that same conversation. Yeah. And I think what uh, I was attracted to was somebody else who was not only just as candid, but just as maybe dissatisfied with kind of like going through the motions just for the masses, you know? Um, Ken seems to be somebody who's saying, okay, look, I kind of want to cut through the fluff and let's, let's deal with whatever the real is, you know. Yeah. So uh, I am somebody that really kind of enjoys, if there's a white elephant in the room, I, I want to, let's, let's, let's identify it. Let's deal with it. Let's, let's do it. Let's yeah, just let's, let's deal with that. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's something that has attracted me to Ken. So tell you a little bit more about myself. I am a uh, happily married man, 26 years. Uh, we have three sons. Uh, we're empty nesters now. Uh, they are, one is an assistant pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, the other two are students at Oakwood university. I am back in school engaging in a righteousness by faith study at the seminary. 
And uh, in addition to that, I am someone who is enjoying a, a second chapter in my career. I'm no longer pastoring uh, a church, but I'm serving more as a pastoral coach mm. to some of the younger pastors at our field. Uh, so that pretty much is me, man. Nice. You, you left out that you are a world champion rook player. Man, you know what? Uh, there's this young man named Eric who happens to uh, be the offspring of uh, your pastor. Oh, okay. And I thought we were going to get together for just a little casual Rook game this evening, and he's meeting me talking about he's going to be bringing it on, you know? Well, Puck, when have you ever had a casual Rook well, game? Well, I mean, you know. Uh, come on now. I so, mean, is this candid, Ken? Because you had me at let candid, me just say Ken. that. Let me just say that Puck has a... <laughs> A annual Rook tournament that he was kind enough to to invite Rochelle and I to come play in. We were embarrassed, like like we were like I don't know. There was it was we were a nice warm up for somebody. That's that's what we were because I thought we were pretty decent Rook players. No, and, and then my favorite part was that that um, for those of you who don't know what Rook is, it's it's a bit of a card game, not that important. The point is. It can be played with, a, depending on who you're playing with, there can be different kind of house rules. Oh and goodness. and so the rules that um, Puck plays with were very different than the ones I'm used to playing with. And so I thought that was going to be my kind of get-out-of-jail excuse for not playing real well. Mm-hmm. And so Puck was like, well, what are the p- rules you play with? So I told him. And so he sits down with his partner. He goes, okay, so how does this work? And so I explain it. And he goes, okay, let's try trounced Rochelle and I. I mean, it was, it was, we were beat down bad. And so, uh, but so yeah, world well, championship. At least player, you got so. an invitation. I mean, yeah. Ken played, Ken introduced, I mean, I've known about Rook my okay. entire life. Of mm-hmm. course, I've seen people play Rook. It doesn't make any sense to me. And Jeff, our other associate pastor and Ken and John, our executive pastor sat down at, <laughs> at retreat last year and was like, yeah, you're going to play Rook with us. We need another person. And I'm like, I don't think you want me to do that. <laughs> and, and they found out very quickly. They did not want me to do that because I think I was John's partner yeah. and we got mopped. Well, I do, well. I do love games. Um, I grew up in a game playing family. Rook is probably one of the ones I enjoy the most, but it could be Monopoly. It could be Uno. It could be Sorry. It could, I could care less. Uh, matter of fact, my wife uh, remembers we were dating and, you know, you're going down the list. OK, so, you know, do you do this? Do you do that? And I remember saying, uh, so, hey, do, do you play games? And she said, oh, yeah, most definitely. I said, oh, great. That's going to be wonderful. You know, she came to our house. I think it was one Christmas or something. And it may have been like, you know, five o'clock and we're playing maybe Boggle, you know, mm-hmm. and then maybe around seven, we might play uh, Risk, you know. Ooh. And then let's say around 10, you know, we decide we're going to play Scrabble, you know. And then we go to our room. You think we're about to go to sleep. And about 1230, my brother knocks on the door. Hey, anybody want to play Uno? Me and my sister pop up. Yes. You know. And my wife is like, okay, I don't think I really came from a game playing family. Um, But yes, I enjoy games. Uh, Chiefs football. Rook. Bow ties. There you go. Oh. That's probably me. That's you're yeah. well-rounded. Like, <laughs> well-rounded. <laughs> right. By the way, my son did appreciate your bow tie today. Well, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. That means mm-hmm. a lot, my brother. That no, I you Stanton Reed. You know. I don't, I don't, hey, I wait, 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 wait. Stanton goes to this church. Yes, he does. Oh my goodness! No, Stanton lived in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He is like my bow tie here. Hey, shout out 
to Stanton Reed. There you go. No, he is the man. He is the man. No very doubt. So. No doubt about it. So <laughs> I was just thinking that, you know, two very sharp dressed men, it's always Stanton at, at Whole Life Church. I mean, he, he just, oh, yeah, man. he oh, just yeah. has a presence, right? Oh, Stanton is sharp. And you were playing, you were looking all the part for Stanton today. So I'm sure I, I he feel like, I feel like my job is done, man. He's <laughs> probably done. So inquiring minds want to know, and this is, you know, as long as we're talking about games, um, New Year's resolution, how, what was yours and how's it going? Ah, that's a good question. That's a good question. My New Year's resolution this year, and I, I, I happen to be somebody who likes, I'm a very uh, choleric individual, so I like making plans and making mm. goals, you know, that's yeah. something I like to do. But my New Year's resolution this year was that I was going to balance my professional studies, the time that I spend with that, and I was going to make sure that I did not spend more time reading for school than I spent time in my personal devotional life. Wow. I did not want one to eclipse the other. Even though I am uh, pursuing a PhD in religion, mm -hmm. the majority of what we're frequently reading is what other people are saying about the Bible. And I said, no, I want to make sure that I am reading firsthand the Bible. So my New Year's resolution was, I cannot deal with any of my studies until I have filled my own personal tank and I need to kind of keep track and make sure that I'm reading as much Bible for puck as I am religion for professors. So we're only about 30, a little over 30 Which days. Which means I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually doing pretty well. I have a little app on my phone and I check it off when I have, because it's very easy for me to start the day and say, okay, I need to read so and so. That, so no. Yeah. So I'm doing pretty well with my, uh, my, my starting my day with God, you know? Nice. You um, used it as an illustration in your message. So I'm like, well, at least we need to find out. If you're using it as an illustration, I need to know what yours is personally, because sure. it's probably one that you're doing. I assumed you did one. I, yes. I don't personally, but I just assumed you did if you used it. So I thought I'm, I'm, that's a I'm, good one. I'm into any – matter of fact, New Year's is my favorite holiday. Because I just, I like organizing uh, things, you know, so you start over, start you can plan. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the thing, the thing that first grabbed me in your message today was you said salvation is both delivering out of and bringing into. And I wonder, I, you kind of noticed the Israelites, and I'm wondering how many noticed like, hey, that milk and honey place, that sounds really, really cool. <laughs> I, I like that part. Wait a minute. But then the bringing into part. Aren't there like giants and people? Ah, that'll probably be fine. Let's just not talk about that. Let's just focus on the milk and honey. And then how about, you know, when we pick and choose when we're in that space, we pick and choose the things we think God is going to be bringing us, the milk and honey, mm. and we breeze over the other parts where we, we just want the milk and honey. We're like, get me out whatever, mm -hmm. whatever I'm in. But then on the other side, when it's the bringing into, that's the, that's the scary part. And when we're usually when I'm in that part, many times when we get to the bringing into, it's like, this is it. This was what I was wait, you know. This is what I was praying for. This is what I was waiting for. And now you've moved me, finally. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and you're like, great, thanks a lot. I don't know what I'm supposed to. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here mm. and i don't know what these set of circumstances mean in my life and then it almost seems like you're back 
right in the through part again. Mm. It seems like you don't even get to enjoy the bringing out part, which I feel kind of happened <laughs> to the children of Israel. As you know, you mentioned the the journey could have taken eleven days, and it's like, well, great, we took four, we took forty years, That's crazy. and now we're here and we're scared to death. And I think the application for our lives, it's so. I think it's so. Maybe if we understood it better. Mm-hmm. It's so much of the up and the down, the hills and the valleys are, I'm out. Answer to prayer. That's a that's an emotional, it's a spiritual high. And then the through part, I don't think anyone really, I've never really thought about it as the through part like you described it. Mm. And the through part, how do you how do you attack, like maybe it's New Year's, okay? Maybe we need to look at it as New Year's, I'm mm. not sure. But we, we've, we've, we've gotten that coming out part. Now we're at the through part and we're not sure what's coming we know what we've prayed for, so we think we we think we're here after we're really only we think we're at the into bringing into, but we're still not there yet. Yeah, how would you attack that for someone who kind of has gotten the? I feel like God has answered my prayer, and I've I can realize that I've moved. Mm-hmm. I'm not there. How do how do I plan that part? What do I do for? What do I do for spiritual time? Because a lot of times I feel like when we know what we're looking to move from, we're asking God to take something from us or move us in a different place, strengthen something, maybe it's a relationship. But what do we do in the meantime if we don't have anything specific because we're kind of in that unknown and that through place? Mm-hmm. It's hard to know, do I just read my Bible? Let's pick something random and hope for the best? Or how would you attack that in that in that through space where things can sometimes be pretty barren like the desert yeah yeah i mean i think it's interesting if you are you know somebody like my wife and i i just talked about us being empty nesters yeah my wife has a uh a a facebook page called praying for your young adult children okay and every morning she posts a prayer one of the things that we have realized is now that our children are gone and we can't grab them and corral them, we are so dependent on God to to disciple them, you know? So I think one of the major things that they have taught me is that I don't have control over these kids. I need to trust God to, to lead them. But then it dawned on me, do I really have control over me? You know, can I can I really lead me? I thought I could. You know, can can I lead Puck to move from hatred to love or from a mean spirit to forgiveness or from jealousy to humility? I, I actually don't have the ability to lead Puck. And. I believe that what we do in those seasons is 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 we trust, you know. So much of David's psalms are about this panic, this turmoil, this this desert, yeah. this fear. But then there's oh, frequently there's this twist in the psalm where he'll say stuff like but then I trusted in the Lord, <laughs> but then I casted it on you, but then I so-and-so. I, I think for me, the, the main thing to do on the journey is to see God like a parent to me 
in the same way that I'm a parent to them. Man, I want them to succeed. Mm. He wants me to succeed, you know? And if I trust him, we actually will make it through. We really will. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how you reminded everybody about that at the end. Like, God's not going to leave you in this process. He's going he's gonna to be good on his promise. I feel like when we have something solid, we, we'll beg God for it. We'll ask, we'll pray, we'll beg, God, if we could only do this or if we could only get past this or if we could only fix this situation. But then let's say you've arrived at the other side and you brought it in. You say, man, this is really good. Man, thank you. Thank you, God. And then again... It almost seems like there's a <laughs> now. What do I do? There's another part. There's another part to learn. Well, Randy, do you think that maybe that sense of arrival um, is not truly arrival, but maybe your mid lap around Mount Sinai, or just seeing the mountain <laughs> from a different angle? No, that's it. I Thank mean, you. That's what really. I'm trying. But but really, that's the yeah. point. Like, what do we do when we feel that way? But I don't think we ever arrive because there's always something more. What do you do in the mid lap, though? Yeah, I think arrival in the story is heaven. You know? Yeah, okay. Okay, that's arrival. So I love how you kind of reformatted it to say, Okay, have I have I kind of seen those trees before? You know, I'm kind of back <laughs> here again. Familiar. You know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But but I, I once again and and you know, I just I think many people have words that work for them and, and it may not work for somebody else. But let's imagine that you were on a a an excursion, a journey. And it really seemed like the person was driving in circles, you know? Sure. Well, you know, I don't know how to drive around Orlando, but I kind of trust that Ken has my best interest in mind. I I think he knows we have to be at church at, what time we have to be here? At 8.30, you know? I mean, hey, how about I sit back and just kind of enjoy the views, you know? I, I think we, instead of being stressed about, okay, but God, where are you taking us? When are we going to get there? So-and-so. He is responsible for preparing me for heaven, mm. you know? And how about I sit back and, oh, you're about to take care of pride now? Okay, great. It's good. I'm down. I'm with it. <laughs> you know, I, I think recognizing that God's, not just the goal is better heaven, but the process can actually be enjoyable. He's purifying me. I know it aches and I know it stings and so on and so on, all that kind of stuff, but I actually will be better because of it, you know? Mm. Man, you hit the nail on the head. That's, I know it, it probably wasn't the, I couldn't really word it the way I wanted to, wanted to ask the question. Thank you, Melanie, for pushing us back around. I almost called you Stephanie again. What I is can. this? I don't. I'm, maybe I'll change my name. I know you're 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 going to be podcast Stephanie to go with Nashville <laughs> Tim. I think I don't know why this keeps happening. I called her Stephanie last week on the podcast. I huh. don't know why that happened, and I just was it was right there, and I. It's all right, Brandy. Uh, oh, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But no, you answered my question. And that, that was what I was looking for, because I think the conclusion you came to is the part that I don't think we internalize, particularly people that are have feel like, you know, you've been around the mountain like 10 times and you don't feel or you haven't grasped the part that God has it taken care of. And what we, we talked about uh, over lunch, and I think it's appropriate here about salvation and about, you know, knowing that God has it all taken care of. But that's that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to either understand and or understand it and then put into practice. Knowing it is one thing, but actually feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And I know our John gave a really good um, description of like kind of how 
he was a kid and when he figured it out and what a what a great feeling to realize that like God has it all under control and you're not responsible for other people and but for a lot of people they struggle with the fact just to know that God has it it's it's done even though we read about it and what you you uh, gave us verses from John what were those verses again? Uh, do, you, John, do you remember? Yeah, John chapter 5. Because that made my heart warm. First John chapter 5. Yeah, that made my heart warm for people listening that may just not really have that feeling or have that um, have that comfort mm-hmm. in the journey that, you, that you're talking, the assurance. Mm-hmm. They, they, thank you. This is First John chapter 5, and it was verses 11 and 12, and it just fit our conversation. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And he's given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you, verse 13, who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Mm. So I, I think there's a there's a balance there. there, there there's the reality that... I can decide I want to go back to Egypt. I'm not interested. God is not in the forcing business, you know? But there also is the reality that if I want to go, there's the assurance that he's going to get me there. Mm. He is responsible, which I think takes an awful lot of stress off my shoulders, you know? I kind of love, I'm a very task-oriented person, and I love when I can delegate something to somebody. Like, I got three things on my list. Oh, great. You'll take those, you know? I get to delegate salvation to God. Ooh. He's going to take care of it. It's wonderful. Can I tag on just yeah, with a question? Please. Because uh, you used some words this morning, you know, the justification, sanctification, glorification. And a, a minute ago, we were talking about righteousness by faith. I mean, those words are a mouthful, especially for people who aren't really familiar with Christianese. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, your study of righteousness by faith? What does that actually mean? Yeah, yeah. So righteousness could, we probably could understand it. People probably think more of right doing, you know, right righteousness, but it also is the same word in the Bible for justice, you know, and it's really talking about how God's character, he is just, he is right. Honestly, he is love, you know, and righteousness by faith is us, having the faith that God has not only declared us righteousness, but what righteous, but will make us righteous simply by trusting him to do that. It, it first comes from Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham faiths God, he trusts God and God ledgers it. God counts it. For righteousness. He says, you know what, Abraham, you trusted me. We're going to declare you righteous. So devil's advocate. Oh, thank you. Which he doesn't need, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Abraham did something and God then declared him righteous. And what did he do? He trusted God? Didn't he go on a journey? Didn't God say, I'll make you father of nations and then he didn't go over here. And so Abraham goes and does that. And if if what you, are you getting at the fact that Abraham earned it? Abraham achieved it. Well, yeah, Abraham. That's what I'm saying, I mean, didn't Abraham kind of go on a kind of a life journey uh, after sure. God told him to, and so God was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. So he, I earned, mean, every, he earned every mile of that. 
So, so I guess my question is, for a lot of people, the the huge question mark is, where does what I do play into things? Because mm-hmm. it's got to play in there somewhere. I mean, Abraham did something, right? And he Abraham did a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, so let's let's keep thinking of. I mean, man, Abraham is Abraham's crazy. Abraham <laughs> lies about his wife, their relationship. And God comes back and says, yeah, Abraham's my prophet. I mean, it's just crazy stuff, you know? Abraham is the one who decides, I am going to figure this promise thing out myself, you know? Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with Sarah's plan, you know? So Abraham is is doing a lot of the wrong thing. But then there's some Abraham doing the right thing. And the right thing that he's doing is, is trusting God to do, you know? God says, go to a place I'll show you. Okay, which direction? Just go. I'll show you. So he, he, he trusts God. The work that Abraham does is trust God. Jesus even comes around and says to, uh, I think, it, is it John chapter 5, where they say, uh, tell us what works to do and we'll do the works of God, or it might be John 6. And he says, the work of God is is to believe on the one who sent me, to trust me to work, you know? So I think Abraham is a great example. Abraham trusted God. He faithed God, and God said, that's enough that I can work with, and he counted that for righteousness. Because if God has somebody who will trust him, then then God will be able to form, mold, direct, guide, disciple, develop. He will make us righteous, you know? Yeah. I think Abraham so, trusted. So you're saying that essentially that Abraham, for the good and the bad, the things that he did, like <laughs> lying about Sarah and just and taking the journey, where do I go? Just go. And we can all resonate with bad decisions. We can all resonate with not knowing what to do and trying to trust. So you're just saying like Abraham was just a normal dude doing life. And God said, that's enough. That's enough. You trust me to do what I'm asking. So we're just to trust. And, and he takes care of the rest. Is that a good? Well, I mean, so it, it, it yeah. should give us hope, right? I mean, really, you know, I think there are some simple verses that I'm not sure we milk them for all they're worth. God so loved, He already loved the world. I don't have to make Him love me, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, the word believe is trust. It's the same word. You know, okay, so I'm going to trust that you really love me. I'm going to trust. And, you know, if I, if I need to feel like I'm doing more, okay, I'm going to trust you when it's hard to trust you. Trust is not easy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't give us a greater task than trusting him, did he? I, I like what you just said, though, because usually we equate with, if I need to do something, that means I got to pull up the bootstraps a little bit tighter. I got to straighten up and fly right, and I've got to conquer a sin. I've got to be more involved. I have to do something. And not that there's anything wrong with, you know, trying to be more Christ-like in our lives. I'm not saying that, but, but really what you're just, what you're saying is you said, what did you say? I'm going to do, um, is trust more when it's hard. Yeah. To trust, right. To trust Mm -hmm. more when it's hard. That's beautiful because that's probably as hard as anything else we could think of to do. But in actuality, it requires less of us. Mm hmm. In my estimation, it requires less, but would normally be seen as, well, that that's kind of watered down grace. You're going to do less and you're just going to count on God to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, Th- that doesn't make sense to some people. You know, we're teaching. Well, it does make sense to me sometimes. Sure, we're teaching from this story of from Egypt to Canaan, right? Yeah. I mean, what did the children of Israel do to free themselves from Egypt? I mean, let's really answer that. Egypt is the most powerful nation on the planet, and God literally decimates Egypt. I mean, you got the blood in the Nile, you got the frogs, you got, then you got stuff where it's just happening in uh Egypt, but Egypt. not in Goshen. Yeah. You got boils on folk. God is predicting when it's going to happen. He decides when it will stop. You got hell falling. Then eventually you have all of the firstborn children dying. Mm. Now it's about time for the children of Israel to do something. It's the first time they're told to do something. What are they told to do? Take a lamb, slay it, put the blood on the doorpost and get inside. Did they deliver themselves by following those directions? No, God delivered them. You know what I mean? But what they did was give evidence that they're trusting him. Okay, I'm trusting that God is going to spare the life of my firstborn son. And I'm trusting that if I do what he tells me to do, he's going to handle it. I think somehow we have translated when I do my part, it it accomplishes something. No, they they did not save themselves. Sure, they obeyed God. I'm not discounting obedience. Sure, yeah. But obedience didn't earn anything. It didn't. The people that slayed the lamb didn't make themselves free. But it's it's trusting God. That's what He works with. You know. Mm. Why yeah. am I getting so excited? I have no idea. No, no, you should be. And that <laughs> was good stuff. That's, that's why. That's how I felt this morning when it was just the overall theme of this is that you're looking at things the wrong way. Trust is really, uh, while not easy, obviously, man, what a better or what a more, what a more attractive mm-hmm. offer to me than than work. Yeah. The other, you know, thinking that there's somehow what I do is going to free me somehow, but rather trusting and just going, I have no idea and, and admitting I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing the best from what you, what I, you yeah. know, what we're communicating. And, and when I'm speaking with God, I'm praying and, and you do your, 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 your personal time, all those things that you, you think you might have an idea, you, you like to plan. I like to plan. I like to know. I like to think I'm going to go do this mm-hmm. in six months or I'm going to do this. And I've got some plans, whether those come true or not. But to put it in God's hands is so much easier than to just stress about, did I do enough? When it's really just, can you obey the best, you know, the best that you know how, the best you can listen, the best. Mm-hmm. Is there a competition for obedience like there is for work when you trust? Because I think that might be the last hick, the last, uh, well, I'll trust, but like how much do I have to trust? The I last mean, vestige of legalism. I know. It might be the last one that needs to get trampled to believe that really this is, yeah, this is something I but, can really hold in my hand and, and, take, yeah, and take. But isn't it interesting? Almost like love, you know, how much do I love? I mean, you either love or you don't love, you know? How much do I trust? You yeah. either trust or you don't trust, you know? And I, Randy, I think it includes things like trusting that Canaan is better, you know, trust, trusting that the manna is better than the flesh pots in Egypt. 
I mean, let's let's bring it to practical everyday decisions if people are concerned about lifestyle kinds of things. So, you know, God wants me to be healthy. And there are some, some health choices that my tongue may not desire right now. Kale. Okay. Well. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, you know, I had kale at lunch. I That's ate some because it was say, good I, for I you. I saw you watch. I saw mm. you eating it. It's fine. It's whatever. But, but actually <laughs> trusting that, that whatever God has really is better. I mean, do you know there are people who really think sleeping with a bunch of women is better? And I'm here to tell you, being with my one wife is amazing. You know, I don't think people realize that what God has, those Ten Commandments, instead of, man, I got to do so and so, I got to do so and so. No, I'm really trusting that God's vision for life is so much better. You know, Canaan is much better than Egypt. And I think the question, I think. I think probably most people will agree that Canaan's better than Egypt, but I think the wilderness is the part where we a lot of us struggle <laughs> through. It's like I, <laughs> I'm not sure that the wilderness in between the two is better than being in Egypt. And 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 but in fairness, you know, the children of Israel show up at, at Canaan and they look in. And they're like, no, 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 <laughs> you're right. And and I think maybe sometimes some of us do uh, show up at the promised land not realize we've arrived it, it looks like it's a dangerous place so but yeah i think for me like the struggle is that wilderness area it's that in between it's that journey that you're on and you're like i don't know i mean yeah but is canaan plus wilderness that much better cuz it's not just to me it's not just is egypt is canaan better than egypt yeah but if i have to add whatever, and I'm no good at the what desert, is. and I go from 11 days, and I immediately do the stupid thing, and now I'm at 40 years, that's not, that's not the same, <laughs> that, that's not the same journey, right? Is But is the 40 years still, Canaan still better than Egypt? Yeah, yeah. that's what I think. So I, Yeah, I mean, I think that is the question, though, and I think, though, that when you, I think it's all on how you look at it, it is slavery better than? Hmm. Which and, is, yeah. and that's, I mean... If we put it in those terms, most of us are going to to realize realize that, you know, we may, you know, it may be tough making a living. It may be tough, you know, making the payments on your house. But none of us, I, I suspect very few of us would want to be a slave and have to live in the slave master's housing. Um we like the freedom of being able to make our own way and make our own choices and that, that sort of thing. And, and I think that the kind of where Puck was going today, and it was just such a good sermon, such a good sermon, yep. was that we sometimes just forget how hard slavery was to sin, just how terrible it really was. And we get into those wilderness areas and we're like, you know what, this is, this is rough, and I don't know if I'm going to make it to Canaan. I'm not really sure if this is all it's cracked up to be. And I, I just want to go back to the <laughs> leeks and garlics and whatever else back in Egypt. Mm, garlic. So mm-hmm. um, so I think the tough part is like, and, and it's just what really spoke to me today was just that pushing through. Just when, you, when, you're, when you're feeling the pangs, when you're feeling that, it's telling you what's needing to be done. And that was to me... I think one of my favorite lines, and you had some really good ones, but one of my favorite lines is not just getting us out of Egypt, but getting 
Egypt, Egypt. Mm-hmm. out of us. Out of us. Mm-hmm. Now, God's not just getting us out of Egypt, but he's getting Egypt out of us. And I yeah. love that line because that is such, you know, I'm very thrilled for God to take me out of Egypt, but I don't really like him taking the <laughs> Egypt out of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that was, I love and, that line. And going along with what you're, you're saying, Ken, I mean, I, I th- and most definitely, that the, the question is not, is Canaan better than Egypt? It's, is is Canaan and the wilderness better than Egypt, you yeah. know? And I'm going to sound like a broken record. It really goes back to trusting. I might not feel like it is. Yeah. In the middle of it, I, I probably wouldn't consider it to be that. So, But I'm trusting that that his thing is better. Now, okay, you think, think about, think about Jesus after his baptism. His father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then sends him into the wilderness. Jesus could be like, what the, what's going on? Why am I going into the wilderness? You know, did I misbehave or something? But he's trusting. No, you, you're in charge of my life. And I'm trusting that whatever path you have is going to work out for my good. You know, mm. I don't, I don't want to imply that it feels better. Yeah. That's not what we're trying to say. <laughs> well, we're emotional people. Yeah. Well, another thing that I, I think can be helpful to think about is when people traveled and something important happened between them and God, they built a monument. And I think we can still build monuments in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, to, to create sort of benchmarks where we can see where we've been. And then the path back toward Egypt is sort of littered with these benchmarks of, oh, I remember when God was with me here. I remember when God was with me here. I remember. And and I think those monuments sometimes can put that distance that we need between us and Egypt and make Canaan seem just that much closer. Mm, mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. Good point. Good visual. Mm -hmm. That was a good visual. I like that. Well, we did have a couple of questions this week, even though we didn't have time because we were like, look, Buck needs as much time as he can from the front. We can't. <laughs> well, you be, have a guest. You want them to. Right. You can't be wasting time with, yeah. with questions. But we did have a few. <laughs> um, we'll start with a comment uh, from Brian who said, thank you, Pastor Furman. I'm currently walking in the wilderness mm. after Egypt. I pray to God that I will soon be brought into the promised land and not want to look back. I ask for your prayers as well as from my church family. So, Brian, definitely, um, we'll be praying for you this week. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Rue asked, will God bring those non-believers we pray for into the promised land through our prayers? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I definitely resonate with the burden and the desire. You know, it's it's Abraham interceding for saving Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? Um, but I think the the answer to that question is way above my pay grade. You know, God is 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 desirous of bringing them in. He's not willing that any should perish. You know. Yeah. But but God is so loving that He is not going to save against people's will. You know. So the answer is I don't know. You know, will will He try? Most definitely. Um, but will he bring into Canaan a person we're praying for who absolutely decides they want to stay in Egypt? I don't think we serve a God who forces people to live with him forever in Canaan. Yeah. 
I think that's about as good as about as close as you can get. Yeah. Anybody else? No. Thought that was pretty complete. I'm sticking to, yeah, I was going to say that's pretty complete. I don't think there's a one more. And then we have a question from Jahimi who asked, how are the bloody deliverances of God's people in the Old Testament square off with the ultimate deliverance that Jesus did in the New Covenant? Why is it important to my ultimate deliverance? I'm not sure if I'm catching the bloody deliverance. What? It, what? It, you, do you know what they're referring to? Sacrifices? Is that what they're talking about maybe? Bloody deliverances of God's people in the Old Testament. How does that square off with the ultimate deliverance that Jesus did in the New Covenant? Well, Jesus's was kind of bloody, too. I mean, he died on a cross to deliver, no? Yeah. I, I'm not I, sure. I wonder if they're referring to the plagues that fell on Egypt. Um, I wonder mm, if Jimmy's is kind of referring to, you know, God kind of being, mm. you know, oh, my kids be. would call aggressive. <laughs> um, with uh, aggressive. Like the, the judgment yeah. side, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, killing the firstborn of Egypt was you know, pretty intense. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think maybe what they're they're trying to get at is, you know, how how does that correspond to what God's doing today? Mm. Um, mm. As he's trying to, does, is God employ that kind of violent tactic still? Is that, um, is yeah. that something, I think it's one of those questions that we often wrestle through with when we read the Old Testament, we feel really happy just to leave it there in the Old Testament and not... <laughs> Not deal with it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's let's assume that 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 we're grasping and understanding the question. Yeah. I wish we could ask the person and, and yeah. kind of clarify, you know. But you know, one thing that I think is interesting that might go in this direction a little bit. You know, there was a whole mass they call them the mixed multitude that that actually came along with the children of Israel, and these are people who observed the judgments they they observed god's judgment against sin and how he uh pretty much made an open mockery of all of their deities you know and they came to the conclusion your god is god we want to go with I you gotta be with this yeah yeah so i i do think that one of god's objectives with with judgment, even though it's difficult and painful, is some people actually will be awakened and won when they when they see judgment. You know, it kind of can be that last evangelistic attempt, you know? I don't know. Well, and I think when it comes to Egypt, I mean, I, I, these questions typically come out a lot when you start to talk about the plagues and, you know, were they... Were they fair? Were mm. they just, you know, God's wrath? And we know that Old Testament kind of feeling we get about God sometimes. But what else, you know, what was going to change Pharaoh's mind? Mm. You know, I mean, you, I mean, it was like the greatest escalation in history of, <laughs> of what, you know, we started with something pretty, pretty mm. benign. And then we moved all the way to, you know, firstborn children, mm. you know, being killed. So you wonder where, like, where's, what else would have worked? If this wasn't it, and mm. you know, again, trusting that God knew exactly what had to be done to make it for His plan, I guess it's, it doesn't answer the question, but it always makes me wonder, like, what would it have taken if it wasn't this mm. to make it the final? Yeah, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to do what God told, mm -hmm. what God's making me do. Essentially, I guess. 
So mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. not the question. Jamie, if that didn't answer your question, text us 407-965-1607 or podcast at Whole Life Church, whichever is easier. And we can also retackle that next week if there's something specific that we didn't answer that you would like to know. And that was it. So if, uh, you know, anyone... If something comes up, always use those same numbers, email, and let us know if you have questions. I think this is a good week for a bonus episode. Is this a good week for a bonus episode? I feel like it is. Okay. Well, hold on tight, and let's we'll jump into the bonus. Let's wrap this one, and then I can just grab the other. Yeah, I'm just going to okay. let people know there might be a bonus episode. There might be a bonus. So stay tuned. That'll probably That's usually our bonuses are a Friday evening. Friday night, yeah. So be well, well, we'll tell them in just a second. I was just going to think maybe uh, in, you know, We'll cut this out if you say no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wonder if we would you uh, would you be comfortable having a little discussion about race in America? Oh man, I'm I'm happy to talk, my brother. Mm-hmm. Maybe as we we're talking about Black History Month, maybe just have a little conversation sure. mm-hmm. about race in America and what you're seeing, and what maybe we can ha- try to recreate one of our frank conversations <laughs> from from Nashville. Not a problem. Okay, no problem. stay mm-hmm. tuned. Friday night, you'll hear this in the bonus pretty much, unless for some reason we scrap it, but I'll let you know if that happens. But the one thing I wanted to leave with this message was it really after, and please, if you didn't see the message, please go back and get it, or you can swipe up in today's show notes and that will take you directly to Speaking of Grace, which has that message there so that you can hear it, because it really was an impactful message with all that we've talked about. And at the end, he finished by saying, the same God who has delivered us out of and is bringing us into has faithfully promised to take us through. And Mm -hmm. you said that very emphatically, and it was very emotional, and it was, it really hit home to make us remember that that's something every day we can count on. Amen. That that God is going to be faithful to take us through. And then before we finish, I also wanted to let you know that this isn't going to do you any good tonight, but we will be having um, a Black History Month worship concert tonight, and I didn't know until today that it will actually be streamed, therefore it will also be archived, and if you've... I can't tell you to come to the concert because you're not going to hear this until Wednesday. But you can't tell them that they can come if they didn't get a chance. Uh, they can, they can still watch attend it. Yeah. by watching it. You can still attend by watching it. So there's been a ton of planning by our youth and teens that have made this program a priority. They've made this program, from what I've seen, it's going to be pretty awesome. They've done a great job. I'm, I'm so yeah, happy. Yeah, Melanie's been working with them. Yeah, we can just stop now and turn everything over to them. They've, they've got this under <laughs> they've control. They've got it under control? Yep. <laughs> awesome. This is this is good. So definitely don't miss it. And what we'll do to make sure that you have that link, I will put the direct link in the Friday bonus episode. So if you're not sure where to find it, I will direct you to the platform that you can view it. It will be in the bonus episode show notes, which will come out on Friday evening. So I'm going to say thank you to Puck for being here today and for the message and for the conversation both over lunch and here on the podcast. It was amazing and I've been blessed for it. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So don't forget this Friday evening, there'll be a bonus episode in your feed. So don't forget to click on that. So thanks for listening and have a great week. 